0: good, Wasn't it? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, another hand. We worked a long time, a long time on that. Yeah. So it's Christmas Eve, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Yeah, glad to glad to see all of y'all uh, this morning, and um, I'm assuming your Christmas shopping is done. I'm assuming that it is done. No, a couple of people are like no. No, um, I have a Christmas gift coming from Amazon that got lost, and now they're giving it to me today. Anyway, you don't want to know all that, but that's the only one we're waiting on, so <clears throat> all of that is, is technically done. Yesterday afternoon, um, I went to Chick-fil-A just right down the road. I know that's a shocker. I know that's a shocker, but I went to Chick-fil-A right down the road, and I was going to go pick up um, some stuff at at Harris Teeter because they have their bone-in ribeyes for $10.99 a pound. Okay. I get compensation just if I you that at a sermon. I, that's a joke if you're visiting. But nonetheless, I went to Chick-fil-A, pulled up into the drive-thru, and the girl came to my window, and she went, Philip, mobile order. I was like, wow, never seen her before. Like, in my life, I go there all the time, but I mean, I, I didn't realized that, that was, that she knew who I was, did my mobile order. There was a guy that came over from the other lane to my car to talk to me. And he said, hey, Philip, how you doing? I'm doing very good. What's your Christmas plan? So we talked about our Christmas plans for a few minutes. And then the other guy that was working over here, right before I left, he went. So if I'm not popular at anywhere else in the world, The Chick-fil-A just right down the road knows my name, knows who I am. I mean, it's 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 crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So I thought I did have the thought as I was turning around, maybe I should have got them a Christmas card. (laughs) I mean, they know me. They know they know I'm a mobile order person. They kind of know who I am. Maybe I should have just passed off a Christmas card, but I I didn't do that. So um, just just to talk, just to kind of get this started. T- t- uh, Mr. Tate almost said, said Travis. I should have said Travis because that's really your name. Who's the best Christmas giver in your family? Oh, definitely my mother-in-law. Your mother-in-law? Oh, mother-in-law. Yeah, that, that's a good answer. Yeah, yeah. That was not his answer in the first service. His answer in the first service was, I am. He said, I am. Oh, I know, I know. But she's here, so you just want to make sure, right? That, that's awesome. So he changed his narcissism to uh, more of a <laughs> more of that, that particular regard. Um, how about you? Hey, who's the best? Laverne. Uh, Laverne is. Laverne is the best Christmas giver in your house. That, that's good. Now, if you're visiting, I'm not going to come up to you, so don't, don't worry about that at all. I'm just going to go up to people I know will talk to me. All right. All um, right. Nate McCartney, who's the best Christmas giver in definitely your house? Definitely my wife. Definitely your wife. Okay, so we have, have some things going on here. How about you, Daniel? Well, I would say it's not me. It's not you. <laughs> my wife, definitely. Yeah, so humble. <laughs> not me. Most dads are just as surprised as <clears throat> the kids. Yeah, just surprised the kids. So yeah, Christmas givers. So what, what makes a good Christmas giver? Somebody that thinks through the gift that they're about to give you. For instance, um, I I received a gift this Christmas that I didn't know I wanted until I got it. You ever have that happen? Like you didn't know that it was something that you would like until somebody gave it to you. And I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you what it is, but I'm going to tell you what it is. It, It was a Lego James Bond car. Yeah, I put it together in a day and I have a light kit coming for it. So, so, the, so the back of it lights up and the front lights light up and all that kind of stuff just to make it special. And I didn't know, like I opened it up. It, it was given to me from Grayson, who works here. So he's now my favorite staff member. I, I just, <laughs> I'm just joking. And they know I'm joking. But, but yeah, he, he gave it to me. So, so I had this gift and I was like really, really excited about it. Didn't know I wanted it. Feel like I'm too old for it, but at the same time, when I got it, I was like, man, this is really cool, and put it all together. It is the first time I think I've put together a Lego set all by myself, because my kids would put together Lego sets, and you know, you sit down there with them, and you play Legos, or you put together the thing, and you have a good time. But this is the first time I've actually had my own, my own Lego set. They got to put it together. It was just a great gift. It was well thought through. And so the best gifts in the world are the ones that people think through and that give you something that you didn't know that you wanted, but you realize afterwards, you're like, yeah, yeah, I I really, I really like this. This is really something. This was very, very thoughtful. So with that in mind, I want you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter nine, Isaiah chapter nine, uh, verse six is where we're going to read today. Isaiah chapter 9, verse six. And this is what it says: "For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given." This son that is being referred to here is none other than Jesus that was born in the manger and he is a gift from God, a gift from God. It is is a gift that you didn't know you wanted until you grabbed a hold of it and opened it up. It's a gift that you didn't realize you needed until you Grabbed a hold of it and thought about it a little bit. It is a gift that God thought through for you and me that we both needed and wanted, but maybe wouldn't have even considered if He hadn't offered it to us through the Holy Spirit. It is a gift from God. Jesus Christ is a gift from God. It's a gift. He's a gift to be accepted. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the text continues. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, normally when we read something like that, we read it like this. God is giving us a gift, and then he wants us to call Jesus these names. So God would be naming Jesus these names. But that's not what this particular text is is referring to. In fact, it's something totally different. This text is saying he shall be called as if God is looking down through time and he's looking at the people that accept his gift of his son and their response to that gift. Have you ever received that gift and you're like, oh my goodness, this is really awesome. And it becomes an awesome Christmas gift. That's better than anything else. Or you say, this is a wonderful present that you gave me this year. This is absolutely wonderful. You probably don't use the word wonderful, but that's okay. It's a wonderful, very thoughtful gift. You begin to name and and kind of characterize the gift by what it means to you. God looked down through the ages and he saw people that received his son as their savior. They received the gift and he saw those people say, man, this is a wonderful counselor I have now. This is a mighty God that now resides inside my heart. He is mighty. This is a Prince of Peace. This is an everlasting father. It's people that are naming or are qualifying what the gift is. They're describing the gift. And if you think about it as a believer, Jesus Christ, the gift is a wonderful gift. He is a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. He is an everlasting father. He is the prince of my peace. Yes, he is absolutely amazing. So it's things that God saw down through the ages that people would actually assign to Jesus Christ and name him in that particular way. He shall be called. He shall be described in this particular way because this gift is going to impact people's lives. That's pretty cool. So let's unpack those Four things, okay? So the first one we're going to unpack is Mighty God. Mighty God. How many of you think of Mighty Mouse when you hear mighty? Mighty Mouse? Okay. A couple of people are smiling, not raising their hands. Mighty Mouse. Or um, if you're like a Marvel fan back when the movies were good, um, Thor would say, I am mighty. Right? He He would come in and say... Have y'all seen those movies? It's really, they're kind of old. They're almost 10, 13, 14 years old. But nonetheless, yeah, I am mighty. Well, God is, we are saying of God that he is mighty. So what does that mean? Well, the first thing that I think of is when I'm weak, God comes and makes me strong, right? And there's passages of scripture that describe that, such as Second Corinthians uh, chapter 12, and it says this. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And aren't you thankful for that? When you're weak, Jesus comes alongside you, God comes alongside you, and he makes you strong. And he he gets you through that particular time. But what if I was to pause here a moment to tell you this? God is not limited in his power to just fixing you when you're weak. What if I was to tell you this morning that God's mighty power is not only seen in your weaknesses, but also in your strengths. See, we as Americans and in a culture, we are really fixated on weakness. Like if we are able to announce our weaknesses to people, that seems to be a great thing. Or if we dwell on those weaknesses. And oftentimes when we... When we do this, a lot of people make their weakness, their identity is what happens. And so their weakness becomes their identity. And then they claim that that verse up there, they say, well, God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. And so we camp out there, but God is not limited to your weaknesses. He's actually mighty when you're strong. You see, you and I, um, have received the Lord Jesus Christ, the ones that have received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are created with talents, gifts, and given abilities. And those talents and gifts and spiritual gifts are strengths of ours. And God doesn't want you to ravel all the time in your weaknesses. God wants you to live in the strengths and the talents and the way that he created you and live in that space. He wants you to live strong. I am strong because of the way that God designed me in certain things. For instance, you don't want me to fix your car. You don't want me to do that. I can identify that that is an engine, that is a battery, and that might be the spark plugs. I I can do that. But if I begin to work on your car, it is gonna be worse at the end of it than it was at the beginning. I can tear it apart like nobody's business. I just can't put it back together, okay? I don't camp out in my weakness. I don't go down the road and get a job being a mechanic because I would be an ultimate failure. God has gifted and and, and given me talents to do this job right here for his purposes. And so I am strong in what I do right here, and this is where I'm going to camp out at. Does this make sense? And so when I'm strong, God's mightiness meets me where my strength ends. Not as if I'm exhausted, but when I'm using my strength to its fullest ability, God's mightiness meets me here and then creates something that's way beyond my wildest dreams. Like it it takes what I'm doing to a whole nother level that I could not get to unless God was with me, strengthening me, being mighty with me along my side. Does this make sense? Now, you might ask this question. Some of you might, might be like, is this really true? Are we, isn't it prideful to say that I'm strong in something and then God meets me with his mightiness? No, it's not. Let me give you a couple of examples of people that did this in scripture. Daniel. Daniel was told not to pray. Daniel, his strengths were faithfulness, loyal, and wisdom. And what did Daniel do? Daniel went opened up the windows and prayed even though he was told he shouldn't pray. Like it was against the law to pray to his God. He went up there and did it. Daniel in that moment was strong. Now, Daniel was arrested, but Daniel was just as strong as he was when he opened his windows. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and at the point that he was thrown into the lion's den, guess when God's mightiness met his strength? When the lion's mouths were closed. Come on, church. And so you live in your strength. You stay dedicated to faithfulness with God and you live there. And then when things happen, God's mightiness meets you and a miracle takes place. Like God's vision for your life is established because he is meeting you where you are in your strengths. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, same thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into a fiery furnace. Guess when God's might met their strength? when they were saved from the fiery furnace. Noah in scripture, when he is building an ark and everybody thinks he's crazy. He built that ark for a hundred years saying that there was rain before rain ever existed. They think he's crazy. Noah stayed faithful and his family and guess when God's might met his strength? When the rain began to fall and the floods came. God's might will always meet your strength, and God wants you to live in your strengths so that he can do great things through you. Actually, I probably should put it this way, so that he can do greater things than you are capable of. And so you do things. There's a lot of people that think, that I'll just sit here until God empowers me to do something. God has never empowered somebody to do something that wasn't doing anything. He always empowers people that are doing things for him. He meets them where they are and he does magnificent things. He is a mighty God. And so when you realize that the son that is given to you is a mighty God that's meeting you in your strength so that you can be greater than you could ever possibly imagine. That is an amazing gift, isn't it? It's an amazing gift. So here's the next one, okay? We have mighty God, and then we have a prince of peace. Now, last week we talked about peace for a whole sermon. It It was called, all I want for Christmas is peace, 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 okay? So I'm not gonna unpack peace here. I'm just gonna make one statement about this. Okay, prince actually means ruler, authority in your life. And the ruler of peace. And some Christians do not have peace in their lives because Jesus isn't ruling their hearts. And until Jesus rules your heart, you will never have peace in your life. You'll never have peace there. Jesus rules, he brings peace. He is the ruler of peace. In fact, I will will tell you this, everywhere Jesus is allowed to rule, there is always peace. If he's pushed out, if he's not allowed to take a hold of your heart, you will not have peace inside of you until you let him rule. Ruling means you follow what he says. You follow his guidance of scripture. So peace, some of you don't have peace. Some people, some Christians do not have peace because they are not allowing Jesus to rule their hearts. And that leads us to wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. I'm kind of glad it doesn't say wonderful therapist. Some of you might be thinking, what's the difference between a therapist and a counselor? There's, there's a lot of difference between a therapist and a counselor. A therapist is not is treating your condition that's all he's doing. he's treating your condition okay A counselor wants to free you from your condition. A therapist wants to kind of lead you along in, in whatever he's He's trying to do, or she's trying to do, and, and he's therapy. He's, he's holding your hand. He's, he's trying to feel for you. He's trying to make you cope with the condition that you will never be free of. But a counselor is someone that wants to free you from that condition. And Jesus came to free people, not give them therapy. In fact, there's not a, a moment, a place in scripture where Jesus gives anybody therapy. Nowhere in scripture. I'm not against therapy, so don't Don't get that. I'm just telling you something about God. God is a counselor. And so what he does instead is he tells you how to live and how to avoid the things that will cause you pain. He counsels you. It's wisdom. Isn't a lot of the things that we have trouble with because of some stupid decisions that we made ourselves because we didn't follow the counsel of God? Come on, church, right? Right? We decided not to follow the counsel of God. We did the stupid thing. And, and man, if we had just followed God's will, if we had just followed his counsel, we could have avoided all that pain over here. Jesus gives everybody in this room this opportunity. He tells us how to live and you have to accept it. He's not going to therapize. Thera- bring you through the whole process and leave you in your condition. That is not his purpose. He wants to guide you in the way that you should go. And your choice at that moment is to choose either to follow him or not follow him. It it is somewhat of a light switch. It is somewhat of a light switch. I'm not saying that there isn't battles in following God's counsel because there is. There's a lot of battles and and you have to fight those battles. But the determination to follow the counsel of God to the best of your ability is a decision that you have to make, he wants you to make, and then you follow him in that counsel. He is a wonderful counselor. God has never led anybody wrong. He has never led anybody wrong. His counsel that is in the word is the counsel that we should keep and the counsel that we should live by. Counsel is his wisdom and without the wisdom of god we are all fools we're foolish in our thinking foolish in what we decide to do foolish in in what, in our activities we're foolish but with the counsel of god we actually become wise because we're living by his wisdom and then there's everlasting father everlasting father everlasting father. You might not be thinking this, but I thought this, in fact, I think this every time I read this particular passage. How can the son who is Jesus be the father as well? And I just leave that discussion with Trinity. Yeah, I, I, I've thought about it. I've read about it. I've tried to figure it out. How can the son be the father and the father be? Well, it's Trinity. It's just a statement of the Trinity. But regardless, he's the everlasting father. Now, father in our culture is not really a popular idea. It is for us, I think. Okay, nobody's shaking their heads. Fathers are popular with us, right? We're, we're father. like We like fathers. We like fathers that are following the Lord, doing the best they can for their family and being the fathers that they should be. We love, we love fathers, but... Fathers and men in general in our culture get really a bad rap all the time. Our media downs them. There's, there's an attack against them. I mean, it's, it's a total thing. So, we, so some people have a skewed view of what a father, of what a man actually should be because they're trying to make the father position weaker than it needs to be, okay? Some people have problems with their fathers because they just... We're not good fathers. Can we be that honest? I mean, I said all that, but there are some people that just did not have a good father in their life. They just didn't. He left the family. He left them behind. And there's a lot of hurt and pain that's mixed up in that. And so when we say everlasting father, you know, there's some people that just have a tendency to, "Ah, I'm not sure about this father thing. They have different emotions than like, people that have healthy relationships with their dads would. Um, and so and so the father thing, the father thing. So let's let's just take all of that and set it just right over here and just talk about the everlasting father because whereas some of these could let you down, your everlasting father never has let you down. In fact when when your human father made mistakes, your everlasting father was perfect. Can I just pause here a moment to also say this? I, I just think we need to, to realize that our fathers are just as mistake-prone as we are. Right? And there are fathers that's really trying their best to be the best man that they can be, but they're still human just like you. Okay? So back, back to this. Our everlasting father's never made a mistake. <laughs> he has never made a mistake. There have been moments where we are reading the scripture and we're like, that that doesn't make any sense. But my everlasting father, who's also a wonderful counselor is telling me to do that. He's trying to lead me in the way that I should go here, but I really, man, I wanna do something else over here, but he's telling me to do this to handle this particular situation. Have you ever been in that, that moment? Like the Bible tells you to love your enemies and kind of be patient before you lash out in, in your emotional anger, but you really don't understand why because you feel like in the moment you could really nail the discussion. Come on, you could really nail the discussion, but God's saying be patient because his word says do it in love and stuff and you're wondering why. And then you decide to do it that way and three weeks later, you're like, wow, that's why because this turned out a lot better than if I had attacked this early on. Is everybody with me? And so he's, he's never let you down at all. He's your everlasting father. And here's what that means. Not only has he never left you down, he has never left you either. Your everlasting father has never left you. He's always been by your side. Whereas you might leave him, right? You might leave him, um, he hasn't left you because he hasn't given up on you. Even when you have given up on him. He hasn't given up on you. He is everlasting and that is not going to change. So the scripture says, for unto you, a child is born, unto you, a son is given. It's a gift of God. And that gift is described as a wonderful counselor that's with you your entire life. A mighty God that meets you in your strengths And accomplishes goals that are way beyond your ability. He's the everlasting father that never leaves you or forsakes you. And he is the prince of peace. He is the one person in the world that can bring peace, total peace, to your heart and to your soul. It is an amazing gift that he gave us a long time ago, right? It's an amazing gift that he gave us when we received him as our savior. You know... A few moments, there's, um, we talked about a uh, gift giving and the best gift givers are the ones that think about what matches the person and maybe what they need or what they want. Like they really take them into consideration. Like we talked about that at the very beginning. God is someone that way before you were born considered what you needed. And when you receive that gift of the Savior, you didn't realize you needed it until you grabbed a hold of it and then you really wanted it and now you don't want to let it go because it is that wonderful. It is that amazing. It is absolutely incredible. So if you're sitting here this morning and you have never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never received that gift, it's really simple. Um, You have to come to a place where you take responsibility for what you've done wrong. Instead of blaming everybody else, instead of blaming the system, instead of living in in the weaknesses you, and, and making weaknesses your identity, you come to the place where you're like, it's me, it's me, it's me. And I have sinned, I have done things wrong, and I am sorry for those sins. And you tell God that. And you ask Jesus to become your savior. And it's in that moment that he moves into your life and he gives you peace in your soul. There are other people in this room that know that they haven't been living right. They know that. They know that that's why they are in turmoil inside of themselves. They don't have the peace of God inside of themselves because they're just not not following the wonderful counsel of their savior. It's in this moment that you should bow your head And say, Lord, I'm sorry for running from you. I'm sorry for not following the way that you want me to live. I repent of that and I want to live for you. Please forgive me and help me. So you do that in this moment. And the gift will be opened again. And peace will flood into your soul And you will leave here this Christmas having a different Christmas than you would have had if you hadn't let go of all that stuff that's holding you back from your relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the stage you've given us. And we appreciate the gift of your son. It was something that we didn't know we needed until you showed it to us and we didn't know we wanted it until your spirit worked on our hearts and soul. We knew something was missing. We knew things were not right. But until you showed us that gift, we didn't know what the answer was. And so we praise your name for allowing us to have the opportunity to open that gift. For the ones in the room or watching online that have never received you as their Savior, I pray that this is the moment that they do that, that your Holy Spirit will work on their hearts so that they will receive you as their Savior, and that this Christmas will be totally different than they ever imagined, that your power would work inside of them. I pray for each believer in this room that has had struggles in finding their peace in their heart. I pray that in this moment, that your Holy Spirit will work in such a way that they will leave here with peace so that as they celebrate your son's coming into the world, they'll do it with a heart that is settled, a heart that is at rest, a heart that is in peace. So work as only you can. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna sing this closing number and stand. And I'm here to pray for you and the altar is open as well.